Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this evening, we welcome you again. We are glad that you're here. If you would be turning your Bibles to Luke the third chapter, Luke the third chapter on your pew Bible, that'll be 906, page 906, and we'll be studying a few moments from that. Uh, We are thankful to be able to tell you that this morning, the extra contribution, the special contribution that was collected was $92,000 and plus. And there's already been other checks uh, given tonight. And then when uh, the Lord's Supper is taken tonight, of course, the plate will be passed twice there for that same purpose. And we know that some other folks are out of town and etc. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the good that can be done with that. And we uh, thank each one of you so much uh, for your generosity. And we look forward to seeing what the total will be uh, within this week. Uh, We are so thankful to have uh, one group on their way back right now. And that's the team that has been in Ukraine. We're thankful for their efforts, for their success, for their uh, sacrifice. And we're thankful for those family members that remained here as a supportive force behind and kept the home fires going. And we appreciate the sacrifices that you've made for this trip to be a success also. And uh, it's wonderful as a congregation to be a part of so many mission endeavors. And let's make sure that we never lose sight of how important it is to love souls if they're next door to us or if they are around the world. We're thankful to have our young people that were away this weekend back home with us. Uh, We are blessed tremendously with a group of young people that are a pleasure to be with. Uh, it, I, it just amazes me how we can take so many young people and stay several days at a place. And, and it's just fun. You're not separating spats and you're not trying to settle tempers and, and all of that. They're mature. They're Christians. They live the life that, that God wants them to live. And this weekend, they've heard many Bible classes. They've heard many speakers. They have, have sung praises to God for hours. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience for them. And we are thankful that they are the type of young people that want to take advantage of those opportunities as God gives them. And we appreciate, as we mentioned this morning, the Mentons leading that group. And we appreciate each of the adults uh, that went. There are several adults that helped with that. And we appreciate each of you that went and took part in that. Do keep in mind homecoming. Uh, Be looking forward to it. Be praying about it. Be thinking about those that might have fallen away that you could give a call this week and just encourage them to come home. Encourage them to be here Sunday and and just let them know that you would love for them to sit with you. Uh, Also be mindful of the fact that the schedule will be a little bit different next Sunday afternoon so that you can make your plans of that. There will be no 6 p.m. service here. It will be about 3.15. Do keep in mind there's church meeting next door, especially on Sunday mornings. Let's try to avoid their parking area. I think that about covers it. At least that's all I can remember at this time. We're looking for the quarter at the church, the family of God. And when we think about how the New Testament Christianity, the great change that it was... To think about things as simple as the day of worship for generations and not just decades, but for century after century after century. Those that were faithful to God, the Hebrew people, they worshiped and they kept the Sabbath, Saturday, holy. And now the new covenant is going to come along and Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross. And three days later, he's going to be resurrected. And for 40 days, he's going to walk this earth and, and, and then he's going to be resurrected. And 10 days later, we come to Acts 2 and the church begins not on Saturday. It begins on Sunday. 
And it's not being preached that we need to follow the law of Moses any longer. Now Jesus Christ is exalted. And so now the emphasis is not upon being a child of Abraham. Now the emphasis is upon being a brother of Christ, a child of God. And to think, as as you and I, we have no way of understanding how tough that transition would have been for those Hebrew people. Where no longer would they bring an animal sacrifice to a worship or for a special holy day or etc. But every Sunday would be a holy experience for them as they would worship God and they would bring their lives day in and day out as a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which is what Romans the 12th chapter would teach. As we consider all of these changes, it kind of makes a little bit of sense then why Jesus didn't just come to this earth and live for a few weeks and die. Have you ever thought about that? Why did he live upon this earth for three years involved in public ministry? 30 years, we know very little about his life. But why did he teach and preach? Well, we know that he was trying to help people through this time of transition. We know that he was preparing those apostles for that tremendous time of transition of Acts 2. But tonight, I want you to think about this as our young people have studied this a little bit this weekend that that went to the youth activity. And so as we look at this particular lesson, I can't help but think about us taking the time to see the importance of John. In other words, do you realize just as much as Jesus brought this tremendous change, God gave John a tremendous challenge. He wanted him to be that front runner. He wanted him to be the forerunner, that before Jesus would come and speak of all of the changes and challenge people to tremendous heights, it would be John that would say, I have a mission, and my mission is to be a forerunner. I have a message, and his message was plain and straightforward. He was a man that's worthy of our study and attention. And tonight, I hope you have your Bibles open to Luke, the third chapter. I'd like for us to study some things about this tremendous man that that kind of plowed the way, made the way forward for Jesus Christ, who, of course, brought his church into existence. In Luke, the third chapter, we read beginning at verse four, as we think about the ministry, Luke, the third chapter in verse four. We have a quote here from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verse 3, 4, and 5. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. And the crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Hundreds of years before, God prophesied of what the mission, the purpose of John's ministry was to be. He says he's going to be the one that is to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, in our culture today, we do not have anything that is of a like kind in this way. I'm not saying it's too difficult for us to understand. It's just we don't have any kind of preparations that's made in this same way. When we read back into the history of the first century, we read of many occasions. I'll give you an example of one. A king was coming in 
to Galilee. And Josephus records this. And as the king was making his way into Galilee, he had several people to go out in front of him. As you can imagine, one would be a herald that would would probably blow a trumpet to gain attention. And then he would announce the fact that this great king is passing through this area of Galilee. But then out in front of him would have been many individuals that would have literally been making the physical way more prepared for the king. In other words, if the pathway would have been narrow and winding at places, they literally would have taken and chopped down some of the bushes and they would have made that winding way straight. And if there would have been ditches along the way, they would have filled those up. Or if there had been mounds in the road, they uh, would have carved those out. If there would have been rough places in the road of rock and etc., they would have raked those to the side. You see, everything there that we've just read was exactly the preparations that were made oftentimes for king's physical journeys into places. There would be front runners that would go and they would prepare the way for the king. Now, John did not come to prepare a physical path for Jesus Christ. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is it that Isaiah prophesied and what is it that John did to prepare the way for Jesus? He didn't walk around with some kind of hatchet. He didn't walk around with some kind of shovel and etc. of tools. What did he do? He prepared the way, speaking of the people. You see, there was a generation of people much like our generations of people, much like people have always been. A generation that was crooked. Notice there, as you read the very end of verse 4, he says, Make his paths straight. And then when you look toward the end of verse 5, he says, The crooked places shall be made straight. What do you think the spiritual significance is? Sin is a bend in the road that just should not be. The world is on a winding, crooked path. A few days After Christ ascended into heaven, Acts the second chapter, Peter stands and he preaches. And he tells them that that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and he was the one that they had crucified and slain. He reminded them that God raised him from the dead. But he was the one that your king David had prophesied back in Psalm that he would go to the grave but that his body would not see corruption. In other words, he would be resurrected. These individuals were so convicted of their sins that they cried out in 37, what shall we do? And in 38, they were told to repent and be baptized. Now note this, we do not have the entire sermon. Because in verse 40, we have a summary of what some other things would have have been said. And he said that he exhorted and testified saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And by the way, I left off the the transition phrase. The beginning of that, that verse says, And with many other words did he exhort and testify, saying, Save yourselves from that untoward generation. In other words, there was a lot more to that sermon in Acts 2. We just don't know, except we know the theme. You see, once he told them about needing to repent and be baptized... He spent a lot of time talking about that crooked path that they were on that they needed to repent from. They needed to turn away from it. 
Now let's think for just a moment. Some various translations would say to turn from that untoward generation. Another would say turn from that perverse generation. Another would say turn from that crooked generation. Now this is one of the few times you will ever find that the Greek is probably easier to understand than the English. The Greek here is scoliosis. The abnormal curvature, the lateral abnormal curvature of the spine. In other words, the spine's just not supposed to curve in that direction. It's not healthy. Scoliosis. Peter, what are you saying? He's saying there's a way that mankind lives and they're on a pathway that's crooked. It's not spiritually healthy. It'll take men off the path. Well, that's where mankind was. God saying to John, John, I have a mission for you. You're supposed to go along the way. And you're supposed to prepare the way, prepare the people for Jesus Christ. John could have said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to talk to people about the crooked path that they're on. I want you to urge them to make that pathway straight. You know, we could talk for a long time about a lot of sin. All sin is perverse. All sin is crooked. We could talk about the way we use or misuse our tongue. Lying, gossiping, using God's name in vain. We could talk about the way we, we use our talents, using it for ways that are selfish ambition, using them out of arrogance, using them as we're involved in sin. You see, the point is, we need to look at every aspect of the law of Christ and then apply every bit of that to us. And what we're going to find out is that there are some crooked ways that need to be made straight. But now notice this. Not only did he speak of that, but he also said in verse 5 that the valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. Have you ever noticed that when you drive on older county highways, that there's a lot of deep valleys and a lot of steep grades? And have you noticed now when you drive on especially newer interstates, they take and they haul a lot of dirt to fill in those valleys so that they're not nearly as deep and the grades are not nearly as steep. Now, he's saying here, kings, they had someone to go before them and they prepared a way like that. But what does that mean spiritually? You realize how many times that it's implied or literally spoken of in the scriptures that when people move away from God, they're moving down. They're getting deeper. You know, that's almost the the imagery that we have when we read in Romans, the first chapter of those people that stop glorifying God and they stop being thankful. And the next thing you know, they're at the pit of idolatry and committing homosexuality. They were getting deeper and deeper as they moved further and further away from God. We can see the same thing in the very middle of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, as we see individuals that finally they were greedy to do the wrong thing. Why? Because they kept going deeper and deeper into sin, further and further away from God. A lot of the times this kind of picture is spoken of as it speaks of sexual immorality. In Proverbs 23 and 27, he would say that the harlot is a deep ditch. And a strange woman 
is a narrow pit. You see, it's the ideal that sexual immorality is at the bottom. Now, I don't mean at the bottom of all sins. I'm just saying he's painting a mental picture here to say it's way down. And so what we need to do is, in our own lives, we need to pull those valleys up and say, I'm going to stop living that kind of life. I want to live on a spiritual plane that is with the Lord, not down in the valley of sin. And so now you have John. John, are you just going to go around and and see which way the wind is blowing in your culture? And then that's what you're going to accept? Do you remember just about two and a half decades ago when homosexuality wasn't accepted at all in America? Do you remember about two, two and a half decades ago where your average landlord would not rent to someone that the man and woman were not married to each other? And we could go on and on and on of how deep the valley of acceptance of sexual immorality has come just in the last couple of decades. In America, we've termed it the sexual revolution. And how terrible it has been to pull our society deep, deep, deep into sin. What are we going to do? You see, friends, the whole point of this lesson as we think about John preparing the way of Jesus to establish the church. If that's what was, was involved in establishing the church, shouldn't we still be involved in the same things today? Shouldn't we still be a people that goes about with our life and encouraging others to straighten those crooks out? Shouldn't we be the one that says, hey, let's lift up out of this sin. Let's not accept that standard of sin. Let's set our sights on something much better. Upon the standard of Jesus Christ. Notice this. Not setting our affections on lust, but going back to Colossians 3, setting our affections on things above. Not on things on this earth. Not on the pits. Not on the valleys. But then notice how he also says, as we read at the very end of verse 5, he says, in the rough ways, smooth. What's rough spiritually? What's rough is reaping the harvest when we have sown sin after sin after sin. Proverbs 13 and 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. The father's telling his son, son, you want a rough way to live? Live as a transgressor. Friends, I want you to realize I am not, I am not even getting close to complaining when I'm saying this. I'm simply making an observation. I love what I do for a living, and I wouldn't want to do anything else. And and even with what I'm about to tell you, I love what I do. But I just want you to know that there's not many weeks that go by that I don't see people cry. Most weeks, I see more than one person cry. And I would say probably more often, it's not over a death or a physical sickness, although that is involved many of the times. But if I had a dollar for every tear I've seen shed because of someone crying over the sin and the, the, 
the difficult life that it's brought to them, I'd be a wealthy man. If I had a dollar for every time someone shed a tear because of someone they love that has chosen that life, and now they are watching their loved one live out the way of the transgressor is hard. Oh, if we could just remember that before we choose that way. If we could just remember that Satan is the king of deception. He's showing us a lie when he says, cross over into this rough way. It really is great. It really is wonderful. The truth is he's not going to show us that roughness. That comes later. That comes after the addiction. That comes after the broken relationships. That comes after we feel like we've ruined our life. Oh, that comes much later and we wake up and say, why is my life so hard? Oh, we can't honestly say, oh, your life's not really hard. Yes, it is. Your life is hard if you're in the depths of sin. Your life is pitiful. Your life is miserable. Because that is the way life is in the depth of sin. It's rough. What's John's ministry? John was given a description of his ministry from God. I want you to go before Jesus and I want you to prepare the people to be looking for Jesus. And I want you to get them to repent of those crooked ways. I want you to get them to repent of that deep valley. I want to get you to repent, get them to repent of those rough pathways. Now, if you will, look with me in verse 7. We've seen a little bit about his purpose. Now, just for a few minutes, notice, notice as we begin verse 7, the actual message that he had to say. Oh, John was a straight speaking fellow here. Notice what he says in 7. He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now... The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Did you notice that in aid, how strong forward, how straightforward and how strong his language is as he speaks about them trying to hide behind the excuse? You can't talk bad about us. You can't call us brood of vipers. You don't realize we are the descendants of Abraham. They were taking satisfaction in the fact that they were of a physical lineage connected to Abraham. And of course, even under the old covenant, the Lord wasn't looking for just that physical relationship even then. You remember, it's under the old covenant in Deuteronomy that we learn to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. You see, God longed to have that close relationship with individuals as long as man has been created. And these individuals had lost sight of that. They'd gotten wrapped up in their traditions, wrapped up in thinking that, especially the Pharisees and the scribes that he would have especially been addressing here, wrapped up in thinking that they were the most righteous when really they were the most self-righteous. And so what was the message? You don't have anything to glory of in the life that you're living. The truth is, you're a poisonous snake. 
And number one, that's a bad description for them. But number two, it's saying you're bad for other people. You're hurting yourself and you're going to hurt a lot of other people along the way with that kind of living. What's the answer? The answer was you need to see the dangerous situation you're in. I want you to imagine a big tree. And I want you to imagine a guy at the base of the tree with an axe. I mean, really, if you'll think about the language John uses, it's absolutely amazing how straightforward he speaks, calling them a brood of poisonous snakes, telling them you don't have anything to glory in in the things you're glorying in. And then he paints this picture of a guy that has an axe in his hand and says, you guys are these trees glorying in the wrong things. I'm already starting at your roots. When I think of cutting down something high and I think about how it would make you unsettled. I think about those five, six, seven men that we have in this congregation that they have given hours and hours of labor to keep this auditorium bright. And they'll roll that little lift in here. And guys, I don't know if you think that's high or not, but I'm telling you, that's high. And they'll ride that little lift up as high as it'll go. And they'll get a pole standing up as high as that little lift to go. And I would start calling them by name, but I'd miss a few of them. And they'll start turning. And when you're that high, if you just put your hand out like this, that lift will rock for the next two or three minutes. Every movement has to be slow and steady. I want you to imagine that the arrogance of these individuals. They're, they think they're a big tree. They think they're a tall and mighty tree. And John says, I've got an axe in my hand. I just want you to know I've already started on your roots. You're going to have to change the way you view yourself. You're going to have to change the way you view God. He's not looking for a physical lineage. He's looking for a spiritual kingdom. Those that want to be adopted into His family through Christ, not through Abraham. Now, the message, that's the convicting part. It may surprise you. I'll be honest with you. It does surprise me how simple the correcting part is. I would have never expected these next few verses to follow these verses right here. Let's read this and we'll bring this to a close. Look with me, if you will, in verse 10, as he tells the people what they need to do. Notice the people ask him, saying, what shall we do then? He's convicted them. We, we may want to change something here. We don't like what you're saying we are. What do you want us to do? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food... Let him do likewise. To the tax collector also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldier asked, saying, What shall we do? He said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. and Be content with your wages. Do what? We've been the wrong tree, we've been the wrong people, we've been a brood of vipers, and you're going to talk to us about day-to-day life? Yeah. Friends, if you and I want to be faithful Christians, we have to realize it's not just about a Sunday thing. The Lord is saying, you want to be a faithful Christian? Be a giver. You have two coats, give one of them away. 
You have food in your pantry? We're the only church in Mount Juliet giving out food and it is on the increase. It is amazing the pounds of food that's taken out of this building every week. Do you give food to the hungry? Because they come here every week, almost every day, and usually more than one every day. Isn't it amazing how practical Christianity is? John, I'm thinking about turning things around in my life. What do you want me to do? Be a giver. John, I'm thinking about turning things around in my life. I'm a tax collector. Now, many of the religious people in that day would have said, Well, you can't turn it around. There's no hope for tax collectors. You're the worst of the worst. You know what he says? I promise you this surprised the other religious people. He didn't say quit your job. He says, okay. You keep being a tax collector. You could have heard the gasp from all the other religious people. (gasps) He's going to let him be a follower? And he's not going to have to stop being a tax collector? No. You want to really shine as a Christian? Do your job honestly. How many honest tax collectors were there around there? Now that would shine. Oh, and what are all the pacifists going to say? The soldier walks up and says, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'd like to straighten out the curves in my life too. I'd like to lift the valleys up. I'd like to, like to make the road straight too. John, what do you want soldiers to do? Well, you better just lay down your rifle and, and you better just uh, leave the army. No. He says, listen, don't use your power in the wrong ways to intimidate people. Don't you dare be one that speaks falsely against another just because they're going to believe you as a soldier over them. Oh, and by the way, oftentimes soldiers aren't paid as much as other people and you might want to complain about it. Don't do it. You be content. John, you mean to tell me you're going to talk to these people about all the changes they ought to make and you're going to talk about day-to-day things? John says that's right. Day-to-day things. Friends, you and I, when we go to school and work tomorrow, by the way we treat others and by the way we use the authority given to us and by the way we serve others and by the way we give and our benevolent nature, we speak volumes about whether or not we're truly committed and converted to Jesus Christ. We're blessed to be a part of a great church. It's the Lord's church. But the Lord's church began by Jesus coming and paving the way. But Jesus began by John the Baptist paving the way. All four of the Gospels begin with John the Baptist. And his ministry was so powerful. It was a way to prepare the people. And tonight, wouldn't it be awesome if you and I prepared our lives for God and then had the same commitment to say, I want to help others prepare. I want to be that kind of person. John helped others get ready to see Jesus. I want to help others get ready to see Jesus. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, tonight would be a wonderful way to prepare for Jesus. If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost focus, maybe you've even lost focus on some of the most day-to-day things, wouldn't tonight be a wonderful time to come back and say, God, I don't see myself as this big, huge, faithful tree. I see myself as a humble servant. And this is what John said. The greatest prophet that ever lived. He said, I'm not worthy to reach up and unlatch Jesus' sandals.
Do you see yourself as that big mighty tree that's a blessing to God? Or do you see yourself as that humble servant that doesn't even deserve to reach up to the feet of Jesus? Let's make sure we leave here tonight on our knees. A faithful servant, ready to serve our Lord. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.